This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Hockey Central here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. I'm Haley Salvian from The Athletic here with you for the next hour. It's a Flames game day. Calgary taking on the Chicago Blackhawks tonight at the Saddle Dome puck drop at 7 o'clock. Pre-game right here on Sports at 960 at 6 o'clock with Pat Steinberg and Peter Labardius. You've got Flames talk coming later this afternoon, so lots of talk about the Flames on the station coming up throughout the afternoon and into the evening. We're also going to talk to Mark Lazarus from The Athletic here on Hockey Central to get what we need to know about the Chicago Blackhawks from Laz and uh, Greg Wyshynski is going to join us before that in about five minutes or so off the top of the show. So two uh, fun guests joining us and, and Greg, of course, is from ESPN. They'll be joining us throughout the next hour. A couple news and notes from the morning skate today. Jacob Markstrom is projected to get the start for the Calgary Flames. He'll be up against Jackson Stauber, who's going to be playing in just his second NHL start tonight. His first start was a 5-3 win against the St. Louis Blues last Saturday night. So I'm sure most Flames fans are looking at, you know, Jackson Stauber. Who is this? We'll find out a bit more from Laz, but I feel like a lot of people are already having that feeling of, oh, God, he's about to, you know, put up a great game because we've never heard of this guy before. And this is what happens here all the time. So we'll uh, ask Laz about him a little bit later in the show. But his first start was a pretty good one, 5-3 win against the the Blues on Saturday night. No Chris Tanev tonight. That's per Daryl Sutter from the other day. Of course, he told us Tanev will miss the next two games leading into the bye week for the All-Star. Uh, Flames have games on Thursday, Friday, and then they're back February 6th against the New York Rangers. Maybe a bit of a silver lining in the Tanev injury situation. He's out. You miss him. We all know the Flames are a better team when Chris Tanev is on the ice and in the lineup. But he might not be out for, you know, more than a few games due to that bye week. So maybe that could end up being a good thing for the Calgary Flames. Not that it's ever good when you have somebody out. Let's make that very clear. Other lineup news, you know, Mackenzie Weaker as expected, uh, up with Nikita Zadorov at morning skate, uh, Connor Mackey and uh, Michael Stone, the third pair, and Dennis Gilbert was recalled from the Wranglers this afternoon. Jacob Pelche projected to stay in the lineup on the fourth line with Walker Dewar and Trevor Lewis. Now, there's a little bit of news from around the league that we can get to here as well. After, you know, I feel so bad. We're always talking about Vancouver. We have been, uh, there's lots to talk about when it comes to the Canucks lately, and that has not changed. Andre Kuzmenko has signed a two-year deal with a $5.5 million AAV. I know that's a guy that Pat Steinberg from Flames Talk, and he comes on this show every week, has mentioned, you know, if you're the Flames, I I kick tires on that one. And I've kind of been full. The Canucks should trade him. Uh, he's having a good season. But, of course, the Vancouver Canucks, who notably want to find ways to dump caps, you know, dump some cap, create some cap space, they uh, they make a signing. They sign Kuzmenko to a two-year, $5.5 million contract. He's a fun player. The contract is fine, too. I don't have a ton of problems with that deal on paper. 
I just think that he would have been more valuable to the Vancouver Canucks as a tradable asset than he will be under contract for the next two years, right? Like, we know that Jim Rutherford thinks they can get things on the rails in less than three years. We heard uh, when he was asked about the timeline, you know, how long is it going to take? And he's like, well, what's your timeline? And I believe it was Thomas Drance who said three years. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll be fine. I don't know if I believe that this is a team that's going to be legitimately contending in that two-year window of Kuzmenko's contract and team control. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent when that deal ends. So to me, why not take a player who's making $950,000, has 21 goals at the 47-game mark, and, and flip him, get a valuable draft pick get valuable cap space like Jim Rutherford's talked about they've struggled to create cap space here was your way trade a guy who has a 20 goal score already in his first year in the NHL and he's making under a million dollars sure he's not a proven asset in the postseason but there's so many teams that are cap strapped right now that a guy making under a million dollars, I think he could have driven the price up because other teams would have been able to afford somebody like him. We're not looking at a player where a team needs to retain cap space and whatnot. He's pretty cheap. <laughs> He's been pretty good this year. Um, it just feels like a missed opportunity to open up some cap space and grab a future asset to kind of help with this retool. But of course, we know the Vancouver Canucks don't really want to retool they don't want to rebuild. They want players who can play now. Maybe they weren't going to get that if they flipped Kuzmenko. So I don't know. Let me know how you feel about that in the text line, 960-960, while we uh, wait to, to be joined by Greg Wyshynski. Another bit of news, Shane Gossisbear. He is out for four to six weeks for the Arizona Coyotes with an upper body injury sustained against the Anaheim Ducks on Tuesday. Uh, he played about 20 minutes almost in that 5-2 loss at Mullet Arena. His 29 points, 9 goals, 20 assists, are second on the Coyotes behind Clayton Keller. And Gosses Bear is a guy who's been on a lot of trade boards. Uh, he's, you know, decently ranked. I mean, he's an offensive defenseman. He can play on the power play. He's probably a guy who would have been flipped at the deadline and now the question is, is he going to be back in time? You know, the deadline's about six weeks out. So he's out four to six. Is he going to be back in time to show his value in that space? Uh, and that two weeks between he comes back in the deadline, or is he going to come back right by the deadline and a team's going to have to take a flyer on him? Maybe the Arizona Coyotes just keep him. Say, it's okay. We don't need to get rid of the guy right now. That's another uh, wait and see. Uh, the Arizona Coyotes have a ton of other assets. So I think they'll be all right if they can't flip Shane Goss's bear. And uh, I guess we can, this actually is great because <laughs> one of the things I was going to do, talk about with Greg and before Greg came on, is there was this really funny moment on Twitter today. And see, I, you know, did all the news and all the important stuff. And now I'm going to bring up, there was a man on the court trying to deliver McDonald's at a college basketball game last night. And this is what I really wanted to talk to Greg Wyshynski, our guest from ESPN about. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. And I think what I just wanted to say is 
Like, we don't have a hockey equivalent of this. And, Greg, I believe you saw this. I think I saw it on your Twitter today, the the McDonald's guy on the court at the Duquesne. I think it was Duquesne-Purdue. Like, what's the hockey equivalent of that? I'm not. We'll talk about, you know, Kuzmenko and Gosses Bear, but I wanted to talk about McDonald's guy really badly because we just, we don't get to have (laughs) things like that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think the only equivalent would be if uh, if Amazon ever develops the drone technology to deliver packages via drone, we could maybe get one of them over the glass and across the ice to drop, I don't know, like toilet paper or, you know, ketchup <laughs> for one of the boys. But that thing last night was a real annoyance because at first it looked like it was a legit funny moment and then it ended up being that it was somebody filming it for like social a social media bit or it was a prank or something so even even these glorious little moments of fun have to be undercut by the creator economy <laughs> i know i it, at first when i saw it it looked like the referee was like waving on moth being like i didn't want the food now like i thought the ref ordered <laughs> mcdonald's and it showed up too early or something and then i was like no no <laughs> Put it in the locker room. I don't want it right now. Yeah, that's a shame. What could have uh, been? I know. Somebody just said on the text line, uh, somebody ordering pizza to the bench would have been really funny. That's a good one. (laughs) The pizza delivery guy showing up, just knocking on the glass. I think the one showing up behind Daryl Sutter and being like, hey, did you order this? Anyways, there's real things that happened in the league today. I'm not going to just talk to you about the McDonald's guy, Greg. I I was talking, I went on my own little rant about the Andre Kuzmenko deal. He signs a two-year deal with the Canucks, 5.5 million AAV. I personally think it's silly. I think given his $950,000 salary and the fact that he's at 21 goals through this point of the season, I think the Canucks could have got some value uh, out of a deadline deal. Instead, they lock him in for two years. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of it. What What do you think about this trade? Do you like it more than I do? Well, no, and and I'm I'm constantly baffled as to well, listen, we're all really baffled as to what they're doing over there, right? I mean, you know, the way they treat coaches, the decisions they make. But the one one part of the bafflement for me is that, you know, this regime was bought in to change things. And, and in fact, Jim Rutherford has lamented the fact that he's been unable to change things because of the salary cap, because of constraints. It looks like we just uh, lost Greg. We're going to try to get him back here shortly. But uh, I think picking up on, on what Greg said there, you know, we, I think I've seen from a lot of Canucks fans that, They're just wondering, you know, we've heard this before. We've seen this before. How is this any different than Jim Benning? And you think of Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh and, you know, he comes to Vancouver and we've been hearing all this, oh, get ready. You know, he's going to make a trade or Jim's getting bored. We're going to see something from Jim Rutherford here soon. And we haven't seen a ton other than what we'd previously seen from different regimes, whether it be Jim Benning or, you know, going further back down the line and uh, just picking up on, on what Greg was saying there. I think that's kind of a fair point to make. And I, and I think that's probably the way that some Canucks fans have been feeling is we've seen this before. Where's the, where's the change? Where are the things that are going to be doing differently? And we heard Jim Rutherford talking about, 
I haven't been able to do anything. We don't have the cap space. And as I mentioned, I think this would have been a, a good opportunity to clear $5.5 million of cap space for the next year or two. <laughs> Just on the text line here, 960, 960, if you want to join in on the conversation. Uh, that was his whole point. Wish is like, I said my piece. I said what I said. I'm done. But I think we've got him back. We had people on the text line, Greg, saying, I think that was a good point. He made it. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I, I think the Canucks are clearly hacking my phone. No, I was going to say, like, the minute the minute the, that the, that money frees up, they go and they sign somebody. And I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly when the turnover of this team that, uh, you know, Jim Benning built and the roster that was already in place, like, when that starts happening. And, you know, to do that requires cap flexibility. It requires moving bodies out and moving new bodies in. And I'm just still baffled as to what the plan is here when it just seems like it's been – a you know, over a year of just doubling down on players that are already already there. Yeah, there hasn't been a ton of change. And, and I mentioned, you know, while we're bringing you back on, I, I, I can understand why Canucks fans are feeling like we've seen this before. Like what happened to the Jim Rutherford who's going to make all these wild trades way before the deadline? You know, they're just getting a little bit more of Jim Benning, it seems. Well, yeah, and, and also because, you know, Rutherford had the reputation of coming in and, and kind of slashing and burning. I mean, you know... It, I mean, famously, one of his first moves when he came to Pittsburgh was the Patrick Hornquist trade. And, and that yeah. was a move that really kind of set things in motion for them to, to flip the roster and, and get a bit more aggressive and, and really kind of find that, that special sauce that led to, to back-to-back cup champions. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it seems like a lot of time to, re- to, re- to assess things. I'm sure, as Rutherford has said, you know, he could, could have maybe been a bit more aggressive, but overall the, the cap limits and what limits you and what you can do um, with it being flat for you know the last couple of years but I don't know this just seems like another in a string of decisions that that doubles down on what's already there rather than trying to really uh, get aggressive in changing the the mix there absolutely and so another piece of news from today is Shane Goss's bear he's out four to six weeks with an upper body injury how do you think this alters deadline plans i mean does he go from a lock to getting traded to a question mark that moves down the trade boards like do you see the arizona coyotes now having to hold on to him because of this i guess it all depends on how he progresses through that timeline but i just feel like he was somebody who we all just assumed was going to get flipped because of what he could provide to a team and now he kind of turns into a question mark yeah i think the real question mark is like when we say upper body what do we mean do we mean yeah. concussion? Do we, do we mean shoulder? I mean, that's for me. I, I, I didn't get a real chance to, to drill down into the, the injury news of it all. But, I mean, to me, if you're looking at value and you're looking at the deadline and you're looking at, you know, four to six weeks to recover, uh, it's probably the nature of the injury is the biggest question there. But, you know, it, it, was, it was an interesting sort of redemptive season for him in, in some ways. Um, I think that, you know, he obviously started off the season – playing extraordinarily well for them while they were on their like multi-month road trips. <laughs> um, and, and, and obviously for his skill set as being a puck moving mobile defenseman, um, there's always going to be teams looking for that at the deadline. So, you know, for the sake of Gosses Bear playing for a potential contender, for the sake of the Coyotes continuing to build their draft capital, you hope that he's, uh, he's, he's feeling better and, and that they could maybe move him to another place at the deadline. 
You had a good story on ESPN today, and, and one of the big things, and this was all over kind of your Twitter today, too, is, you know, who is your favorite glue guy? That was a, something that you were kind of going through, and lots of fans were were tuning in. So I do want to throw this out to the text line before I throw it to you, Greg, on 960-960. Who is your favorite Flames glue guy? Uh, <laughs> we'll see who who the text line says right now, you know, you know, my heart of hearts wants to say it's like Trevor Lewis for me. Trevor Trevor Lewis, when the Flames are coached by Daryl Sutter, is the glue right. guy. I don't think there's another answer. It's it is Trevor Lewis. Uh, but for you, Greg, who's who's your favorite glue guy? And what are some of the best answers you got from from throwing that out there on Twitter? Well, one of the, my favorite glue guys traditionally may not. I mean, he may play that role on the Flames. He may not. Is, is Blake Coleman back when he was with the Lightning? I mean, that was the guy that. You know, you threw into all sorts of situations. The glue guy is an interesting phenomenon in the sense that not only the first thing is they have to play with grit. The second thing is they have to kick in offensively. And then the third thing is they have to kind of be weirdos. <laughs> like there's a certain <laughs> amount of, of personality and charisma and, uh, and offbeatness that they, they bring to the proceedings. And that's certainly something that Blake Coleman, famous for chugging pickle juice, uh, right. used to do in other, in other places. Um, you know, but also it's interesting to see how far you can push the definition of glue guy before you get into sort of that MVP category. Like one of the guys that I wanted to talk about today was Mark Stone in, in the column. And, and I think that he's probably a star, maybe a borderline star, but without question, like is, is the thing that binds the Vegas Golden Knights together um, in, in a way that is, is palpable because without him in the lineup, they just become such a pedestrian non-threatening team. Um, and then when he's in there, all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe this team can really make a playoff run. So an essential ingredient for sure. But, you know, it's mostly a lot of guys like your Pat Maroons. And I wrote about Ryan Hartman on a day, of course, when he gets scratched uh, for the wild game tonight. You know, players like that, I think, fit more into that mold. And it was fun hearing not only uh, people mention their favorite ones that are playing now, but also harkening back to like when I was, you know, growing up, John Madden on the devil, someone mentioned, mentioned Darcy Tucker, you know, players like that that really sort of endear themselves in a, in, a, in a cult heroism way to fan bases. I feel like I need to rescind my Trevor Lewis pick. Uh, I feel like Daryl would definitely call him the glue guy for the Flames, but it's probably someone like Chris Tanev. Yeah, for sure. We always talk about, you know, the Flames look so much better when he's in the lineup and he maybe doesn't do things that are noticeable or appreciated all the time, but it is probably Chris Tanev. We saw the way that they fell apart without him in the playoffs. That's He's the glue. He sticks them together. Or Michael Backlund. And to to that end, Brandon Tanev of the Kraken was somebody who, it was like Mm -hmm. him or Yanni Gord were the the Kraken candidates. And I mean, like, that's another player that I think, you know, just kind of brings it together. And, of course, He's a bit of a weirdo, so I don't know. If, I don't know where Chris Tanev is on the weirdo scale. He doesn't seem. He seems like a pretty straight shooter. I actually, there was a really funny Q and A that somebody did with. I think it was with Chris Tanev in Vancouver a few years ago. Someone would have to look this up and tell me. But they basically were asking Chris about all these different conspiracy theories, and it was like, "What do you think about <laughs> ghosts?" Like, do you think aliens exist? And he was like, oh, yeah, for sure. And they were just asking him things like, are you afraid of sharks? It was the most random Q&A I've ever seen with a professional athlete, and it was so funny. So I, Christina was probably a, a bit strange based on what I remember bit. from I, this interview. Oh, yeah. 
I might have to steal that bit only because, like, I, I know eventually, you know, we can maybe find the Aaron Rodgers of the NHL that way. You know, find the person <laughs> who is you know, tripping in the middle of the jungle and, you know, believes in ancient aliens and all that stuff. They're, he's out there. We just have to find him. It's TJ Brody. I'm going to tell you right now. It's, <laughs> it's, it's TJ Brody. <laughs> Okay. I just, there, yeah, this was in 2012. Uh, Chris Tanev shared his thoughts about aliens way back when. I think it also happened in 2016. He said that he isn't willing to judge aliens before he meets them. So this is interesting. So it's yeah. it, the, the existence isn't the issue. It's whether <laughs> no. whether they're benevolent or not. Yeah. Is really is he afraid of aliens? Have. I don't know. I haven't met one yet, so I'm not willing to judge. Right. But I mean, oh, this I was Jason Bruff. This is really oh, funny. That makes total sense. Then you throw yeah. a curtain blogger into the mix, and you're of course you're gonna get that. I think I think the fear <laughs> for all of us that believe that there's life beyond this planet is that you know they're gonna come here, and they're gonna have like the dude's gonna have literally the cure for cancer in his back pocket. He's gonna be like, I know you. I heard you guys have a cancer problem. Well, here you go. And then before he can like hand it over. Someone's going to think it's a weapon, and they're going to just annihilate them. Like just, just going to drop a nuke on the aliens before they can give us the thing that will like change our society. Because you know that's how it's going to work. Yeah. Oh, this was great. Yeah. It's a it's a worst case scenario list, and it was from Derek Joy actually with the Vancouver Canucks. Bruff did a story about it. So if people are interested in this, just Google Chris Tan of aliens. Yeah, he's definitely the glue guy. I know Michael Backlund is is probably an option too, but I feel like this is great. I need to move on from the alien abductions. Okay, sorry. This is my last one, actually. It's fine. <laughs> what would Chris Tanev do if he were attacked by a shark? Quote, I would probably kick him. I'd probably get eaten, though. <laughs> this is this is the failing of the education system, because everyone knows canonically that if Poke you are attacked eye. by a shark, you, no, you punch him in the nose. Oh, the nose is, 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 is the vulnerable it. part of the shark. Yeah, you punch the shark in the nose and hope that he doesn't open his mouth because then all of a sudden you lose your hand. But if you get him right on the honker, you might be all right. Huh. I thought it was the eyeball thing. Anyways, that's why I don't go in the ocean. I would also get eaten. Uh, Caps, Kane Stadium Series jerseys, Greg. Do we like them? We like them within the context of the Stadium Series. That's the one, that's the one misconception people had today in, in looking at those jerseys is that the Stadium Series is the event that the NHL puts on where um, it is not about trying to craft this beautiful artifact that harkens back to a team from 1922. It's about like putting on a fisheye lens and looking at a logo and being like, how weird can I make this jersey? And, and so like the Caps jersey is very much in that grand tradition. Like There's been some really whacked out jerseys that we've had in the Stadium Series. Many of them have been very memorable uh, and fleeting. And I think the Caps will probably fit in that category. Like for the stadium series, that's a really good looking jersey. And that's why I was kind of disappointed in the Carolina jersey because it just kind of looks like their attempt at streetwear. Like there's nothing audacious about it. They're the home team. They could have really made some sort of crazy, vivid statement. But it's basically like, hey, we've never put our primary swirly toilet bowl logo on an all black jersey <laughs> before. What if we did that? And it's just kind of like lazy. I'd, I'd give the Caps one probably an eight within the context of the stadium series and the hurricanes probably like a four. Right. Okay. That's great. I like the Washington one. I do. I do like the Carolina one a little bit more than you do, but they could have done something a bit more fun. It's better than just yeah, that's canes my, that's written my, diagonally like across a, the shirt. Yeah. It feels like a missed opportunity, you know, and they've done that sort of like pr black primary Jersey thing before too. And it's, 
I don't know. It just it just seemed like you had a chance to really kind of blow it out. I mean, you're playing a game, your game at home. It's on a college campus. The one yeah. thing that I always love about these, though, is that when Adidas puts out the, the images, they always accompany it with a press release that is the most creative BS you've ever read insofar as, like, why they did what they did. Like, this one on the Carolina one is, like, all the letters and the numbers are slightly slanted to show the resistance that you feel when a hurricane is blowing. It's like, okay, oh. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the the Seattle um, reverse retro, you know, this this deep, deep history of the Seattle Kraken that we're dipping into right now in year two. You know, Here's our haunting Kraken image from how bad we were in year one. Precisely. That's, that's Precisely. the that's the inspiration. Let's uh, let's chat about the Bruins a little bit again. Another piece on ESPN from you and, and your colleagues, you know, Ryan Clark, Kristen Chilton, all kind of chiming in there. But I guess what I'm looking at the Bruins, we know how dominant they've been. There's so many different storylines to dip into. When we're looking ahead to the deadline, is this a team that you think could be a sneaky contender to do something? I don't know if I've really heard a ton. Maybe it's because I live in Canada, but I feel like everyone's just kind of content to look at how dominant the Bruins have been and say, I don't know if they really need to do anything. Do, do you see them as somebody who could maybe make make a couple waves in March? What, one name they've, they've kind of been linked to is Bo Horvat, actually, and I thought that was right. an interesting interesting name in the sense that like, you know, they're pretty stacked at center right now. I mean, you know, you, you've got, you've got Bergeron, Krejci, Coyle up the gut. If you bring in Horvat, I mean, you could, you could probably play him on the wing if you wanted to, but then you'd have like four really, really good centers uh, to solidify that lineup. And, you know, it makes sense from a, we're all in on this kind of perspective, but it also makes sense that they really like them as a succession plan play. I mean, Bergeron and Krejci are both on one-year contracts it was sort of tenuous whether Bergeron was going to come back for this season uh, to play again. If, if they're this good and they win, you kind of imagine both those guys might like skate off into the sunset. And then you, you're left with Charlie Coyle as your number one center on the roster. So if you bring in Horvat, now you have yourself a little succession plan, which of course is important because you do have to figure out how long uh, David Pasternak wants to still be a Bruin. I mean, the, the, the money is going to be there. The term is the tricky part because, like, what does this team look like post-Bergeron? And if you have Horvat now on the roster, he signs a long-term deal. Now you have a better sense of who's going to be there uh, post-Bergeron, post-Krejci. So I, it's an intriguing move if they can pull it off. It's just a matter if they have the type of package that's going to supersede what other teams might be able to offer for him. Right, and I think the question about cap space, too, you know, we don't know if Bergeron and Krejci will be back, but there is – David Pasternak and his contract, if he re-signs with the Boston Bruins to consider, do you think he's going to be the highest paid player in the league next year? Because I don't think it's a stretch to think that he could set a new ceiling for NHL contracts after this deal expires. Yeah, I don't think it's a stretch either, but I, I do wonder if, you know, if you do sign with the Bruins, if it's the Bruin way, if he sees what, you know, Marchand and Ben Bergeron have taken during their careers, if there's a certain amount of pressure to, sort of like keep the tradition going and, and not, you know, max it out. So that'd be, that'd be the hesitation in me saying this guy's going to be the highest paid is just because of that um, open market though, man, like absolutely. That guy's an absolute beast. I mean, he's in my, for my money, you know, for all of the, the greatness of Bergeron, for all, how great, uh, you know, all Mark's been, I, I still think that it's probably pa- Pasternak is their MVP so far this year. 
Yeah, absolutely. I read that in the story and it was kind of, I think you said something like, this is all everyone, you know, trying their hardest not to just say David Pasternak. <laughs> yeah, Allmark's been great, but let's be real here. This is this is the MVP. It's it's pasta. Yeah. We can all just say it, you know. Right. I think I think people try. You know. You know. Like we run the awards watch every month, and people try their best to try to not like it's the it's the Selkie problem, right? Like nobody wants to always give it to Bergeron, right? So we can right. make cases for Barkoff and guys like that every year. In this case, it's like this this one guy is like the highest scoring non-oiler in the league. Like he, we could probably say he's the most viable player on the team this year. It's fine. <laughs> Right. Uh, one last one for you, Greg, before we let you go uh, for the rest of your afternoon. Speaking of MVPs and, and, you know, awards watches, I feel like everyone's just accepted that McDavid, based on what he's doing, has MVP, the heart in the bag this year. But when we're looking at the fight for, you know, second, third, guys to get in as finalists, is Jack Hughes a legitimate Hart Trophy candidate, at least when we're talking about that number two, number three spot behind Connor McDavid. Yeah, without question. I mean, uh, you know, for, for those who haven't gotten a chance to really watch him as much as maybe I have um, as somebody who lives in New York and who also grew up a Devils fan, uh, he's great. I mean, like the, the way he's leveled up this year has been fascinating. I mean, his offensive skills were on display last year, but it's the fact that he's been able to be durable and and physical like he made a game-winning pass to Hamilton in overtime the other night against Vegas where he had two guys pinning him against the boards and he still got the pass off and he got up off the ice when he was a kid when he's a rookie that's you know he's out of the lineup for five games (laughs) and I think he's just become (laughs) really a a, a tougher kid uh, a smarter kid and and certainly has just an, an array of offensive skills to see him get the puck and to see him want to get the puck uh, is a really magical thing when he's on the ice. But, it, you know, I've been asked about the, the McDavid heart thing a few times. He does have it in the bag, save for one caveat, and this is my caveat. If the Buffalo Sabres make the playoffs and Paige Thompson is outscoring his next teammate by, like, 18 points or something, I'm, I bet you he gets a lot of support for the heart. I bet you that mm-hmm. guy gets a ton of support because it's the anomaly of the Sabres making the playoffs – it's everybody remembering what he did earlier this season when he was scoring goals at will. I, I think he's the only guy that could give Connor a run for his money because of the narrative of the Sabres uh, making the playoffs on the back of one player. And even if, I mean, I wonder if, like, if Edmonton misses the playoffs and Buffalo makes it instead, I know it's not really an award that takes the team success into account, but I feel like that could be the tiebreaker for some people who are on the fence. Well, I mean, there are, is a contingent of, of people, myself included, that kind of treat the Hart Trophy as you got to be in it to win it. Like the whole point of playing the regular season is to drag your team into the playoffs. And if your team misses the playoffs, like what is value? Like what, yeah. how do we determine value? I'm with if, you on that. If not, yeah, if not, if not getting a team into the playoffs. So you're right. I mean, there is always the chance that uh, Edmonton misses the playoffs and a few more games like they had against the Blue Jackets last night. Maybe that happens. But, uh, but I think overall, like, they, they've really impressed me in the last couple of weeks. I was really shocked by last night's game because they had been playing a lot better. Maybe, you know, Kane being out of the lineup contributed to that. But um, I think they'll be fine. I actually think that there's a better chance that Edmonton rises up and wins that division than the Kraken run away with it or, or Vegas wins it. Okay, interesting. I guess we'll uh, we'll have to have you on another time to see how all this tracks, and I'll do some more research on how to survive a shark attack. We had someone on the text line say you're supposed to, you know, 
kiss its belly and call him a good boy and he'll become your friend and stop attacking you. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very nice and this is a friendly text line we have on sports at 960. So join us anytime. I'm trying to think of the the logistics of taking off your scuba gear to kiss a shark's belly while you're being attacked by a shark. That is, that is some gymnastics. I don't think I'm ready for. Yeah, no, me neither, but sorry for the, that's a pretty weird, you know, off track I've gone on here, but thanks for, for being game for it, Greg. I appreciate it. As always, thanks for having me. All right, there goes Greg Wyshynski. Uh Great stuff from him. He's from ESPN, and that chat was on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline, which is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take it or delivery at 403-248-3344. The text line remains open, 960-960. We're going to have Mark Lazarus on the show coming up after the break. We're going to scout the enemy, figure out what we need to know about the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, Frank Saravalli was on the big show this morning, talking about his uh, deadline primer about the Calgary Flames. One of the players on that list was option D. There were some guys ahead of him, but one of them was Max Domi. We'll uh, ask Laz a bit about Domi, how much he might cost. Is he going to be available? Could he be a fit in the Flames lineup? Uh, And let me know if you have any questions for Laz 960-960. That chat's coming up next on Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Kind of went off the rails there with Greg Wyshynski. Who could have seen that coming? We'll try to keep it on topic with Mark Lazarus. He joins us now on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline because it's a Flames game day edition of Hockey Central. We want to get the goods on on Calgary versus Chicago. So, yeah, I, I won't... I'll stay on track this time. Mark, how does that sound? You good with that? We'll just talk about hockey. I'm going to try to derail this as quickly as I can. <laughs> yeah, I probably should. I should have said that before they brought you onto the station. You can't sabotage <laughs> me. How's the tank that we're not calling a tank going in Chicago? Because we're not allowed to say that. I think Gary oh, Bettman said nobody's <laughs> nobody's tanking, tank. Mark. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. God, God forbid anybody try to lose. No. Um, also, we all have a digital board, and nobody wants have information that's right how's it going over so there you can call it a tank in chicago it, 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 it it's pretty open here you know kyle davidson has not been shy about what they're what they're doing here and no the blackhawks players and coaches aren't tanking certainly it's, they're playing pretty well lately until the last couple of games so they're throwing a wrench in the system but they're in dead last right now uh and they're very close in points percentage too so things are going great they're going great in chicago <laughs> are you having fun are you doing okay i am uh, losing my mind slowly uh, trying to come up with ways to write about this team every day. Sure. Where, like, is Chicago an ideal place for Connor Bedard? Like, we keep seeing the, you know, everyone's tanking, everyone wants this guy, or here's the best landing spots for him. Like, why is Chicago the right spot for Connor Bedard? Well, it's certainly where the league would want him to be, I think, because it's a big market that makes a lot of money, obviously. Um, you know, it'd be great to be able to put Connor Bedard on your top line, maybe a Convinces Patrick Kane to resign in the offseason. He could play alongside him. Back on, you know, national TV every single day. Nobody gets sick of seeing talks on national TV, of course. Um, <laughs> it's certainly where the league would want him to be. You want him in a marquee market, right? You want your superstars to be in the biggest markets possible. So, of the teams that are out there, you know, Anaheim, Columbus, um, you know, uh, Arizona. I think it certainly makes the most sense that the league would want him to be in Chicago on the biggest stage possible. 
For sure. Uh, I agree, I think. I, I know there's some people who look at Vancouver. You know, he's a BC guy. Cheers for the Canucks. No. Put him in a big market. I'm sure it'd be fun. Do you think Kane would actually stay if that were the case? Let's crack it's into hard, that. He has to make his, he has to make his decision before the draft lottery, obviously. He's got to make his decision in the next six weeks. don't think it would, but I think the possibility of it is in his head. Like, if he's still weighing his options, that's one of the things he's weighing is the idea that, you know, well, hey, maybe I could play with this for the next few years and get a lot of points and be a star and, uh, you know, maybe get this team back on top. Because if the Blackhawks get the dart, it changes things, right? Mm-hmm. All the caps in the world next season. So they could add some free agents and get, you know, expedite the field if they get Bedard, someone who's not going to be next year. And there's no guarantee Tilly or Carl uh, will be here, even the Mitch he could be years, then you know, they're basically tanking again next year. And I don't think mm-hmm. anybody wants to be anywhere near that if you're a Kane kid. Right. Um, now, it's it sounds like, you know, we're obviously still waiting to hear what Kane and Taves want to do ahead of the trade deadline. Sounds like we might hear something in the coming days or weeks. I feel like we keep hearing that, though. Things are going to pick up in a few weeks. Things are going to pick up in a few weeks. We're still six weeks of the deadline. There's time. But what can you tell us about the futures of the two franchise icons in Chicago? Like, what do you think happens here, Laz? Well, you know, the season began, I was convinced that Patrick Kane was looking for a reason to stay, and Jonathan Taves had one foot out the door. And then about a month or two into the season, when things were really bad and the Hawks had their, they lost 16-17 at one point, two-game losing streaks, I, I saw it weighing on Patrick Kane a lot more. I think that's when I realized I think he's out. And Taves, I don't. I think Taves is really on the fence. I talked to him this morning, actually, and every sentence he told me, I was like, "Oh, he's staying. Oh, he's leaving. Oh, he's staying." Like, I think he's really on the fence. He said he's leaning way, but he's waiting to see if anything changes his mind. So, I, I genuinely think both guys are still conflicted about this. I'm sure they have what they think they're going, to, but they have not made that decision. Their meeting with Kyle Davis not on the books yet. It's going to have to happen soon. But I really genuinely think both guys are really grappling with. This and have not made up their minds yet. Is this a situation where Chicago would be okay losing them for nothing? Like if they just, you know, they can't decide, they can't decide, and they decide to stay for the rest of the season, but then they go in the summer. Like I'm, I'm thinking of what Calgary and Flames fans went through, with, albeit to a lesser extent. You know, Johnny Gaudreau is not in the, the Taze Kane, you know, iconic tier um, for some obvious reasons that include Stanley Cup rings. But, but could you see a situation playing out like that and they'd be, you know, okay with it? It would just seem like a bit of a mess if it got to like a, you know, <laughs> the night before the trade deadline and then they have nothing ready. Right. Well, I mean, obviously Kyle Davids would rather get you know, a first-round pick and a prospect for Kane and, like, a second-rounder for Taves. But they are prepared for that possibility because it's entirely up to Kane and Taves. If they decide they want to stay, then they can't be traded. They have full movement goals. And then, you know, if they don't want to resign, what can you do about it? So I, I think the Blackhawks are braced for any inevitability here. But the Blackhawks are fully prepared to walk away from them. Like, if they both want to leave, then they're fine with that. Like, if Taves wants to stay, be the captain for this rebuild, they're fine with that too. Like, I really think that they're not really terribly concerned. And if that sounds harsher than I mean, but like, whatever happens, they're going to think that their plan doesn't change. They've got so many first round picks these next few years already that if they don't get one for Kane, which would be in the late 20s anyway, probably because it'd be a contender, 
it's not going to mm-hmm. fundamentally change the rebuild. So they prefer to get something from both of them, sure. But if they do walk away, you know, then it's not it, it, it's not like some kind of death blow to the rebuild. It's just right. kind of those things happen. Yeah, this is kind of like, oh shoot, <laughs> wish that didn't happen. Looking at the game tonight, Mark, uh, Calgary Flames, Chicago Blackhawks, puck drop at uh, 7 o'clock with the pregame here on Sports at 960 at 6 o'clock. I think I'm going to ask what all the fans are wondering. <laughs> what can you tell us about Jackson Stauber? I think some fans are already expecting a huge game from him tonight because that's what happens when, you know, a guy who's played one NHL game starts. They're just like, oh, oh shoot. <laughs> Every team, every team's fan base is convinced that they only lose to backup goalies. Yeah, yeah. Backup goalies are rookies. They only, you know, specifically target, you know, me in in X marketplace. I can't tell you much about Jackson Stauber. He's like number four, five on the depth chart. Arvid Soderblom is really the number three here, but they playing big games first. So Stauber's up here because Alex Daylock is in concussion protocol, and saw he made his debut in St. Louis last weekend, and he played really, really well, and he won. So, uh, you know, St. Louis was right. The backup goalie beat him. Um, I can't tell you too much about him. He kind of came out of nowhere, and here he is. You know, he's got like an 896, 8% awkward. But sometimes <laughs> you come to the NHL and things change. And, you know, the Blackhawks are not a good defensive team in front of them, so you expect things to go badly. But the Blackhawks have gotten actually pretty solid goaltending all year from all four of their goalies. So who knows? Maybe we're ready, uh, we're ready for the Jackson-Stauber uh, superstar experience. <laughs> uh, what, what can you tell us about how Seth Jones has played this season? Like, are there any guys that, you know, Flames fans need to be aware of on the ice tonight? Like, is there anyone that stands out to you that's having a particularly good season? Maybe it's Jones. I mean, maybe it's Kane or Taves. You know, what's, uh, what do people need to know about this matchup? Honestly, Max Domi has probably been the black most consistent and reliable forward. He's their leading scorer. Uh, he kind of, that, that kind of Listeners that the that Luke Richardson is looking for as a coach, and he's probably been their steadiest player. Jonathan Tate is having a pretty good bounce for last year when he was coming back from missing a year with injuries. Uh, Kane struggling. He's not, you know, he's not playing with the kind of guys he's used to playing with, and he's struggling. Um, and I, I think it's in his head a little bit where he was getting frustrated. He had two straight games where he didn't even have a attempt. Highly unusual. Uh, on the defensive side, Jake McCabe's been the best defenseman. Uh, you know, he's had a nice bounce back here after a really tough first year in Chicago, coming off the ACL surgery. Uh, so McCabe's, McCabe's numbers are actually remarkable, considering like relative to his teammates, his, he's, a, he's, a, he's a plus player for the Blackhawks. To be on this team and have a positive goal differential is a staggering achievement that probably warrants <laughs> Norris' consideration. Yeah. Uh, McCabe's probably, is he a guy that could get flipped at the deadline? I, I want to get into Domi too, um, but before we do, because I know you had a story about him and, and he's actually kind of been on some of the uh, Flames trade board that we saw from Frank Saravalli at Daily Faceoff. But, but before we get into Domi a little bit more, is McCabe someone that you could see getting flipped at the deadline to a contender? It's possible. He's still got a couple of years left on his contract, so it's, it's always a little more complicated a guy with term. Uh, he, he signed with Chicago because he had made Chicago his off-season home and he wanted it to be his permanent home. He has a partial no-movement clause, but he's also a guy who spent his whole time in Buffalo and came to Chicago for this. So I think he is dying to play in a competitive situation and get uh, get his first playoff experience. So it's conceivable. Um, it, you know, I think Edmonton's a team that would make sense with McCabe right now. Um, some teams value guys with term on their contract. They don't look at it as a bad thing. And McCabe's, also, I think he's a 4 $4 million. He's not like 
he's not grotesquely overpaid or anything like that. So it's he's uh, he's available. All things must go. Kyle Davidson, you know, nobody's nailed down to the table here. Uh, Max Domi, he was on Frank Saravalli's, you know, kind of Flames deadline preview. He had him as option D uh, for the Calgary Flames to maybe look at. Um, you know, he provides nice versatility, especially if the Flames run into any injury issues down the middle. You could kick him out to the wing, although he probably does play his best hockey when he's up the middle. But you also feel like he's a guy that, I mean, all things must go, but I know you had a, a good piece on the athletic laws about why it could be valuable for him to stay in Chicago. Like, how do you look at the Max Domi situation heading into the deadline? Yeah, I mean, he was signed to be flipped at the deadline, clearly. Um, you know, give him a big role, see if he can find that 28-goal form he used to have and trade him for a first-round pick. But he's been a really nice fit. He really likes it in Chicago. He's been really good in the room. He's been he's this big, upbeat personality that's really valuable on a team that's struggling. The way he plays, I mean, if next year is going to be all about bringing up the young guys finally, letting the prospects play on this year, you're going to need someone for them to model themselves after, right? Someone who has that kind of work ethic, that relentless, that drive, that 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 personality, that positivity. You know, if you don't have Taze and Kane, somebody to be that role model. And Max Domi, I know you don't think of Max Domi as a role model given his history. But there's just something about the way he plays and the way he acts in the room where he's been a really positive force for this team. And, again, the, the Blackhawks have to pay someone next year, right? There's $21 million coming off the books with Kane and Taves, plus $5.5 million recapture penalty for Duncan Keith. They're going to have to pay somebody. Why not pay Max Domi when you know what you have in him and you like it? What do you think it would cost if they decided to move Max Domi? Like, if the Flames are looking at him and they like all the things that you just listed about Max Domi, but in Calgary, what do you think it would cost the Flames to make that happen? I think I think the Hawks would love to get a first round. Yeah, the Hawks would love to get a first round pick for him. But uh, you know, talking around the league, it sure seems like people are a little more protective of their first round picks this year, just because of how the draft is supposed to be. So that might not be realistic if. Second or a third might do it. If I'm Kyle Davidson, I'm not moving him for a third. I care about a third round pick. A second round pick, he'd probably do it. They would love a first round pick, but I don't think the price is going to be that high. His, his seasons, he's not having a big enough season to warrant, you know, some kind of big, huge uh, price. I think he'd be a really nice addition if the Blackhawks are willing to trade him. He'd be a really nice addition. His game translates to the playoffs really well, and he'd be a nice addition down the stretch for any, any contender. Yeah, I know that last year when he was traded from the Blue Jackets to Carolina, it was that three-team trade with Columbus, Florida, and the Canes. And I don't think there was a first-round pick exchanging hands in that. It was like a prospect in a sixth. So if that's <laughs> what a Domi deal would look like this year, you're probably right. It probably just makes sense to keep him in keep him in Chicago if he's you know working out that well. Yeah, that's what I say, but the Blackhawks tend to not agree with me, so I wouldn't I wouldn't count on it. Great. Well, that's great. I'm sure everyone will believe you here. <laughs> We're a fun bunch. Yeah. Thanks, Laz. Enjoy the game tonight. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Haley. Bye. There goes Mark Lazarus. He covers the Chicago Blackhawks from the Athletics. See, we kept it on the rails. We kept it on track. I think the Domi conversation as it relates to the Flames from Frank's story today and and what Laz is saying, and obviously what what Laz thinks versus how the Chicago Blackhawks are going to go about it are, are probably completely different, right? I mean, if the Blackhawks just want to get whatever they can, then if the Flames are giving up, you know, a, a late round pick for a guy that they think could be versatile, who could help, you know, center depth if there's an injury, kick him out to the wing, sure. 
I mean, you could do what the Canes did last year and only give up, you know, a prospect that's not going to play. Why not? But if, if they want a first-round pick for Max Domi, you know, I don't think it really matters how nice he is. I don't know if that's something that you should be doing. Uh, but that's all the time that we have today on the program here on Hockey Central. It's a Flames game day. Flames, Chicago Blackhawks, uh, puck drop at 7, pregame at 6. You can get a look at Max Domi tonight and maybe let me know tomorrow. Did you see something that makes you want him on the Calgary Flames? We can chat about that a bit tomorrow, and, and obviously we've got six weeks to keep talking about the trade deadline. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll be back tomorrow on Hockey Central on Sports at 960 The Fan.